It's Daily Thunder, the special holiday edition. The Ellerslie campus is closed through Christmas break, but Daily Thunders are still booming forth daily through this podcast. For those of you that like to enjoy Daily Thunder live and in person on the Ellerslie campus, mark your calendars for our relaunch on Monday, January 13th. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. This episode is part of a special commemorative series featuring Ellerslie staff picks for the best Daily Thunder episodes of 2019 and is delivered by special guest, Philip Hartman. Okay, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Jesus is Lord. What a joy that we get to be as people. Okay, so this morning we're going to be talking about the name Yehovah Shema, and this is this is. I, I was telling Emily this morning. I just love this meditation. Arvi's name is fun. I, I I've given these devotionals many times and have studied and just meditated, and it's such a powerful thing to go back to the character and the nature of who our God is, because when we're talking about the character and the nature of God, it's a foundation that we can build upon, that we can we can build our lives upon who He is, because. Who he is will never change, but he always has been, and he always will be, and, and that his very nature is not something that's added to him, or these, these character attributes of who he is is not something that added, is added to him, but it's something that he is in the very makeup of who he is. That's what nature means. In other words, the very nature of, of, of what God is or who God is, is, is is built around these things. But why don't we pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the preciousness of Jesus and the gospel and the blood that was poured out on our behalf. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in that reality, that we would walk in that reality. Lord, that there would just be a, a, a joy and a rejoicing in our hearts today as we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Thank you for this reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so turn with me, hopefully you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 48. Ezekiel chapter 48, and this is the, remember I mentioned in our session on Thursday that there was going to be a a daily thunder where I would talk about the end of this chapter. So this is it. So Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35 for the last eight chapters, Ezekiel's been, been getting a tour. God brought him up into this place in a vision, and, and this man there with a measuring reed in his hand is giving Ezekiel this grand tour of this city. He gave him a tour of, of, of the temple and measured it, and there was the, underneath the, the temple from the Holy of Holies was this river of water, and wherever this river went, life was going, and, and all these different things in the city, right? And here in chapter 48, we find out the name of the city. And in verse 35, it says, All the way around shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. The name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there, which is the name Jehovah Shema. Now remember, when we're talking about these, what I call Jehovah compounds, okay, which is Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah 
Jireh, Yehovah Shema, Yehovah Sabaoth, and so on. The, we have to remember that Yehovah, this is the I am, the self-existent God. This is the one who has no beginning or no end. Ten trillion years times ten trillion years from now, he will be no older than he is now. He, is, he has no need of anything outside of himself. He is the I am, the unchanging, immutable God. And so if we're talking about the attributes of who he is, let, let's say Yehovah Nisi, which is the Lord who is my banner or the Lord who is my victory. You know what's so beautiful about that? That if Yehovah himself, the unchanging I am, is my victory, my victory takes on the attribute of Yehovah. Meaning that it cannot be removed, it, it cannot be changed, if, if he himself is our banner, he himself is my provision. What a, what a reality. And, and, and Yehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, or Yehovah Shalom, the Lord who is my peace. And, and, and so on. So here we have the Lord is there. And it says that the, the, the name of this city, city from that day will be Yehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Now, when you read the verse, what's the first thing you should notice about this verse? You, you can answer that question. The size? The what? No. It's at the end. Context, context, context. Right? It's, it's the very last verse in the book of Ezekiel. So we're going to read the entire first 48 chapters of a book of Ezekiel this morning. So that we, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Some of you guys have been looking like, oh my word. <laughs> I like to preach long. So it's, it's at the end. So I want to give you some context for this. And, and we're going to sort of build up to this, this verse to help you understand the significance of this verse. And, but we should notice this is the conclusion of the entire book of Ezekiel. Is There's a city, and the city's name is Jehovah is there. This is powerful, okay? And we'll get into this. So let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God created the world and everything in it and saw that it was good. He created Adam and Eve and placed them in a garden for them to tend this garden and care for it. And he says that there's one tree that they're not to eat of, the, 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 the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, everything else they can freely enjoy. And they are enjoying his presence there. That the Lord is there. In fact, you can say of, of them and of the garden, God is there in the midst of it. Or rather, God was there. Now, the Garden of Eden was not beautiful just because of itself. You, you see, it, it's not just that it had nice fruit or nice trees or this or that or whatever. But what was it that gave it its beauty, its life? Its, well, it was God. You see, it's not that it derived its goodness from itself, but from the fact that God was there. And because God was there, it was good. Because where God is, there is everything that is good and beautiful in life. And where God is not, it is that which is not, as he would have it to be. As it says in 1 John 5, He that has the Son has life, and he that does not have the Son of God does not have life. Second Corinthians 3 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You see, where he is, there is life, there is liberty, there is, there is beauty. You could say all that is good and lovely is not just wrapped up in, in something that he made, but in he himself being there. And he was there dwelling with mankind and unity, and, and, and this relationship of, of him as Lord and them as his people, 
as his servants, as his creation, devotedly and lovingly serving him. And then we know, of course, that sin removed man from God's presence because God is a holy, holy, holy God and man, as a sinful man, cannot dwell in the presence of God without being destroyed, without being consumed, as it were, because he is holy, holy, holy and man became sinful. And so God drove Adam and Eve out of a garden and he, he, he blocked up the way and, and man then begins to turn in this just downward spiral of humanity living in sin apart from the presence of God, apart from the person of Jesus Christ in their midst. So we have where we see sin gets worse and worse amongst the people there, and then we come to Noah's time, and of course God destroys and restarts with Noah, and then again you see sin, and, and it's continuing because it hasn't been eradicated, and then you have a few generations later, you have the people that God begins to call apart. Abraham first, then Isaac and Jacob. And then they go down with some 80, is it 70? I think it's 70 people. Down into the land of Egypt. They come out later as a massive nation. God delivers his people from Egypt and he brings them into the, the, the wilderness first. And there they set up a tabernacle. And, and once again, now God has a people. And what can you say about these people? What was the chief hallmark of those people? God was there. He was there. Now, it was different than in the Garden of Eden because in the Garden of Eden, there was no separation. Whereas here, now you have a tabernacle and, and you have the, the holy place where the priest can go and you have the holy of holies, right? And, and only one man, the high priest, can go there once per year. But God was there. Yes, there was a separation. Yes, there was a veil. So they, they couldn't just go straight into the presence of God. But God was there amongst them. And you see this, this signified by the, the cloud by day and the fire by night which chiefly was not just about direction. This was chiefly about the reality of the presence of God. The reality that God himself was once again dwelling amongst his people. And oftentimes I think we, we, we somehow skip over this reality as we, as we read through the, the Old Testament of how much you see in Exodus and, and, and the, the whole Pentateuch, this reality of God has come and is amongst his people. And you'll see this over and over and over as you read through it. So I want to read you a passage out of Exodus 33. If you have your Bibles, turn there, Exodus chapter 33. We're going to start in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying unto thy seed I will give it, and I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a sorry, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, saying to the children of Israel, You are a stiff necked people, I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment, and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount of Horeb. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out into the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass that Moses went out into the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man in his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, a cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of a tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. 
And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand of a tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped, every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, young man, departed, out not, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, this is Moses speaking to the Lord, If thy presence goes not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So we shall be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. So you have a story where the Lord says, go up, but I'm not coming with you lest I consume you because you guys are stiff-necked. And then here you have Moses coming to the Lord and pleading with him and saying, if I found grace in your sight, come with us. Because if you don't come with us, I don't want to go up. I don't want to go up if you don't come with us. Because isn't this a way that we're separated out from all the people? It's not just about a land. It's not just about a promised place. It's not just about the, the, the ordinances and the temple and the so on. It's God being there. What's the point of a shell little tabernacle if God's not in it? What's the point of being in the promised land if God's not there? Because it's all about him and the reality of him being amongst his people. And Moses says, if this isn't what's going to happen, I don't want to go up. Because this is how all the men will know that, that, that we are your people. Because you yourself are dwelling in our midst. And I find today that I think in Christianity, many of us are willing to go up. And we're, many of us are willing to, to, to have the accruedments and to have the traditions and to, to, to do all the things and be, even be in the right spot and show up at church on a Sunday and yet, and yet not really care that much what God thinks and not really care that much about him being in our midst. And so you see the tabernacle and then of course later David desires to build a temple and, and his son Solomon completes that work. And what happened? God comes down into their midst in, in, in Solomon's time. And, and once again, God has filled his temple and is there in their midst. Yes, there's some separation, but he's there in their midst. And then once again, what happens? Well, sin brings death. The people depart from the Lord after Solomon. The kingdom is split. And there in a temple in the city of Jerusalem, God departs from his temple. Why? Because the people began to commit abominations there in the land. In fact, they set up idols in the very holy of holies. They set up idols. And right there in a place that was meant for the worship of God, they were worshiping idols. By the way, this is the same thing that every one of us have done. We are the temple of God. Know you not that you are the temple of God? And he who defiles his temple, God will destroy. Same thing. The temple of God was defiled. They set up idols in the place that was meant for the worship of the Lord. And so God destroyed the people. And the presence of the Lord left the, the, the temple. The temple was then destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. Babylon comes in and takes them captive. The people of God are scattered. And they are not set apart anymore. 
They're all just scattered, mixed in, well, captive, technically. And then the book of Ezekiel comes, and the book of Ezekiel is an indictment against Israel's sin. In fact, at one, pl- at one place in Ezekiel, God actually brings him in and shows him the elders there in the temple worshiping the sun in the very temple of God, meaning the, the sun up in the sky. And so the book of Ezekiel is an indictment against Israel's sin. And so the context is that it, Israel's been scattered, Judah's in captivity, the people of God has set up idols in the temple of God, and God has left his dwelling place. God's not there, is what can be said about Jerusalem and the temple. This is the very opposite of Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is not in that place because they have left the Lord and sin has brought death. And again, death is, is death, when we're talking about the, the penalty of sin being death in the Garden of Eden, death is not just a, it, death is not really something in and of itself, it's the absence of life, Right? And so it wasn't talking about physical death. Yes, over time, physical death would happen, but not immediately. But as soon as they sinned, spiritual death came in, which was what? The absence of life. And who is life? God himself is life. So the absence of, life, of God is death, ultimately. That, that when God departs from a soul, that soul has died, spiritually speaking. So in the book of Ezekiel, this indictment against sin, but there's, there's glimmers of hope for the book of Ezekiel. Just for example, one is in Ezekiel 37, as you begin to get towards the end here, and it says, and, my, and, and David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. This is speaking of, of the, the time to come. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them, and they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My tabernacle is also should be with them. My tabernacle meaning what? My, my dwelling. I'll be amongst them again. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. How, how do we even know? When he's dwelling amongst his people once again. So again, now we get to, to Ezekiel chapter 40, and we have this description of a city with the temple in it, and, and the city called Jehovah Shema. Now this is a, a, a prophetic city, okay? This is not something that is physical in Ezekiel's time. And, and, and yet, what a glimmer of hope. But here, the, the people are in captivity. There, there's just absolute ruin. It's right 25 years into their captivity at this point. It, there's ruin and, and Jerusalem, ruin in the temple. They're in Babylon. God's not there. And yet, there's a city to come where his people are going to dwell. And once again, it's going to be said, Jehovah is there. Jehovah is there. And so you recognize that as a fundamental part, again, this is a, a description of the character of God, as a fundamental part of the nature of God, he desires to dwell in and amongst his people. Isn't that amazing? That he wants to be amongst his people. That he, he desires that it would be said of him that he is there amongst his people as a fundamental piece of the nature of God. That, that God's not like you and me where he just sort of gets peopled out. He's like, I'm done with the people. I'm going to go over. 
I don't know if you all get that way. But, but God desires to be in and amongst his people. Now, the temple was rebuilt. Ezra returns to Jerusalem after the end of a seven-year captivity in Babylon, and the temple is rebuilt. However, the presence of the Lord never enters into the temple there. In fact, what you see is, is the, 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 the people, the old men, are weeping when, when there's a time of Ezra's temple being rebuilt. The young people all shout, right, and a shout is heard many miles off, and yet the old people are weeping, the ones that had seen Solomon's temple, because it just wasn't the same. And you never have a description of the presence of the Lord coming back into the temple after the Babylonian captivity. And, and so this, we know, is not a, a foretelling of Jerusalem in a physical sense or the temple in a physical sense. But there is a promise that there will be a place called Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. And so we go several hundred years later, and 400 years later approximately, a little bit more than that, 460 or so, and Jesus is born, and, and what is it that is said of him? It's actually the opposite of Jehovah Shammah. It's, if you go to Isaiah 7, you guys will know this passage, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. So this is the opposite. Whereas Jehovah Shammah is saying, God's there. Emmanuel is saying, God is with us. And so once again, can you imagine? Here Jesus is, and, and as a young child, he goes into the temple. Right? Or, or as a really young child, they bring him to the temple. Once again, God is there. You could say he has entered into his temple. And he's there amongst his people. He's walking in the flesh amongst his people and, and doing miracles and healing people and, 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 and preaching the gospel and preaching the kingdom of heaven and that men should repent. And he's there dwelling amongst the people. And can you imagine these men knew Ezekiel going, is this it? God's here amongst us. And the disciples knew who he was. He made it very clear that he was the I am, the Lord, and the Lord himself is there now. He's there amongst his people. And you recognize that Jesus is Jehovah. He is God himself. We're not going to get into looking at that this morning. But in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ, the fullness of a Godhead, steps into the scene, born as a child, and he is Jehovah Shammah. He himself is the one where you can say, the Lord is there. And yet there's a greater fulfillment that we'll get into. Colossians 1 says, Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, invisible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of a body of a church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And so you could look at Jesus and say that he is the fulfillment of Jehovah Shema. Here he is walking amongst his people. He is God with us. And so we know that Jesus, he, he dies. He's raised again from the dead. He's there on earth. And then he ascends to the glory of God, seated at the right hand of the Father. And the question is, is if he is Jehovah Shema, 
Why did he leave? Why did he leave? Can we only say Jehovah was there? Yeah, yeah, 2,000 years ago, he was there. There was a big movement, actually still going on today. This has been the last 10 years that they've been working on this thing. They sent out churches to, no, sorry, letters to just tens of thousands of churches all around the United States. And here's what the letter said. I'll paraphrase it, but it said something to the effect of, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was in your church? Wouldn't it be cool if you could have a Jesus at every dinner table? He was there just like the disciples. I mean, wouldn't that be neat? Here he is sitting at the dinner table with you just like he was with the disciples. You, you could have a Last Supper every night. And, and if he was in every single church, that Jesus was there for, for every single uh, church service. Therefore, donate our cause. We've actually found the shroud. And we've taken DNA from the shroud. And we are cloning Jesus. This is happening. In California, go to Southern California, and they're actually physically working on, they were trying to have him born on December 25th, 2017, 2018, something like that. Mm-hmm. Hasn't happened yet, obviously. Isn't that sick? But, here's what I would say. I think you and I still think this way a little bit. Not about the cloning Jesus part. But we think, wow, wouldn't it have been cool to be like, actually there walking with him? And if that's the way that we think, we don't believe Jesus. Because here's what Jesus says. He says in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, or better, for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus says it was better for us that he should go and that the Spirit should come and that he would dwell within us by faith through the eternal Spirit than that he should be here amongst us in a physical body. And yet I think most of us tend to not believe him. We're like, well, Jesus, that's really nice. Yeah, we like that, but I really want to just have you here, sort of in in our group here. And yet this is what he says. That it was actually better that he should go. Why? That he might send the comforter. So Christ left that we might now be indwelt by him through the eternal spirit, and therefore what was once done in his singular body, you could say, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there, would now be accomplished through his corporate body, that the whole earth might be filled with his glory. That is, as the church of Jesus Christ goes forth and preaches the gospel, that it could once again be said, Jehovah Shema, not in his singular body, but in the church of Jesus Christ. And the church is the ultimate fulfillment of this statement. It is the heavenly Jerusalem, the, the city of Zion. It's not bricks and blocks and, and uh, stones. This is his people, living flesh, built up as a holy temple. A couple of passages Hebrews 12 says, But you are coming to the Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and of a blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Ephesians 2 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. 
that the church of Jesus Christ, yes, individually, you are the temple of God as your body. It is the temple of God. And then corporately as the body of Christ that built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, we are being built into a temple, a tabernacle, what a habitation or a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. And the, the church itself is the ultimate fulfillment of Jehovah Shammah, where it is the city that can be said, Jehovah is there. And we're not going to get into this, but we'll see, of course, the ultimate fulfillment of this is uh, on the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the church of Jesus Christ there as a whole, built together as a habitation of God, eternally with him in our midst. And you see that, you know, in Revelation, that he himself is in their midst, the lamb dwelling amongst them. No need for the sun, no need for the moon. He himself is our light, and, and, and so on. Now, it's really interesting that this is in the third person. Emmanuel is, is God is with us. But the third person is, God is there. Is your life so marked by the presence and the reality of God dwelling in you that it could be said by people that they see your life? Just like they saw the people of Israel and said, God's there. That what marks us differently is that God is dwelling in us. Both as individual Christians who are the temple of God and is the corporate body of Christ being built up as this holy habitation for the Lord. Now, 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 there's a lot of weird teachings about the presence of God today. And when I say the presence of God, I'm not talking about some emotion. I'm not talking about some feeling or some experience or some tingles or, or this or that. I feel the presence of the Lord. By the way, we don't have to, to ask God to be amongst us if we're Christians. He dwells in us. If, if we have believed in him and received his spirit by faith, he dwells in us. This is an ever-present reality. This isn't some sort of thing that, well, when the really good worship music comes on, the presence of the Lord is just... No. When I'm cleaning the toilet at home, you know what? God dwells in me. He does. And, and, and when I'm going to bed at night, when I'm waking up in the morning, and when I'm driving, and when I'm working, and when I'm preaching, and when I'm singing, and, and 24-7, God has come to make his habitation amongst his people. And this isn't just a feeling, this isn't just emotion, this is a reality of the person of God himself dwelling within you. This isn't just a power. Does he, is he powerful? Yes, but this is a person. Which means it's far more than just Oh, he's going to give me strength. He's going to give me himself. But it's third person. God is there. And this should be able to be said of our lives that the presence of God, the person of God dwelling within us is so evident. Why? Because of our entire life reflects him. If he is dwelling in us, what's he going to be doing? He's going to be conforming us to the image of his son. But he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. And if you abide in him, then he will also abide in you. And you have this fellowship with one another. With the Father and with the Son. And then with the corporate body. Being built up as this holy dwelling place for God. And so the work of Jesus Christ was one of making us fit to once again be those who are Jehovah Shammah. That though we have sinned, and, and though we had rebelled, and though we were as the desolate temple with idols being raised up within it to worship the idols instead of a living God, having repented from those idols and turned into the living God, 
we now are able to be those of whom it can be said, Yehovah Shema. And you know, I, I think that in, in our Christian culture today, and I mentioned this earlier, we can so easily lose that, that spirit that Moses had. You know, Spurgeon, whenever he would go up to preach, as he was walking up to preach, he would say, Lord, I can do nothing apart from you. I'm dependent upon your spirit. I can do nothing apart from you. The prince of preachers. And yet, what? He could do nothing apart from God, right? This is reality. What if we were to live with that sort of dependence and recognition that apart from the person of Jesus Christ dwelling in us by faith and expressing himself to this world, we can do nothing. We can truly do nothing. This isn't about our own efforts, our own plans, or our own organizations, or, or, or things, or agendas, or programs. Or We're really good at the traditions. We're really good at, at, at the routines. And yet, are we men and women marked by the presence of God? Men and women marked by the reality of Jesus Christ dwelling within us? You know, in, in India, it's interesting when you interact with some of the different Hindu priests there, you'll see different times, especially when they're doing their worship down on the, the rivers there. They'll like, they'll, they'll get demonic just when you walk up to them because of the reality of what's going on in you. And then there's other people that, that are like, hey, what's different? What would it be like if that was us? That, that, that we weren't just so much caught up on on us and what we're doing, but the reality of God dwelling in us, the reality of Jehovah Shema, and what a joy this is, that, that God desires to be amongst us as his people, that he himself dwells in us, and we have this communion and fellowship and joy and dependence and relationship with him because he is Jehovah Shema. What an amazing reality. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I pray that this wouldn't just be something that we know about. We live in light of this reality that you are dwelling in us as your people, that we have been built up as a holy habitation. Lord, if we've allowed idols into this temple or we've used this temple to worship ourselves or to worship the vain things of this world, Lord, would you drive those out that this would be a holy temple, a pure temple, one that is set apart and dedicated, one that is, is, is clean, as it were, for the presence of God to be able to express itself. Lord, that you would be able to, to showcase your life through us. Lord, as it were, not dimly for darkened glass, but clearly. Thank you, Lord, that you desire to be in and amongst your people. That you desire fellowship with us. Thank you for the Spirit of God by which we have life. For we know that apart from having you in us, we are dead. And yet, because of your cleansing blood, we have life. And we are the city, Jehovah Shema. Thank you for that reality, Lord. We love you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. 
Our live Daily Thunder online stream and our live in-studio Daily Thunder experience will be starting back on Monday, January 13th, when our team returns from their much-deserved holiday break. Meanwhile, we encourage you to plan a visit to our beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.